Welcome to American Dissident Voices. I'm Kevin Alfred Strom. Last week, we talked about the case of Chase Allen, a young white man executed by police officers in Utah after he peacefully challenged their jurisdiction over him, using some of the legalistic arguments that are commonly associated with the sovereign citizens movement. What a terrible loss for Chase's family, and what a waste of a young life. While I do believe that the tyranny that now rules over us needs to be defeated, let me reiterate to all the potential Chase Allens out there, words are not magic even if they are truthful words. A police officer taught by his probable ADL and other training to robotically enforce the laws as the establishment sees them, and who has been told that you are dangerous even when you are not, is not going to go away and leave you alone if you cite some obscure case law to him. A judge whose entire career depends on the political favor of those with power and on keeping his court's decisions in the narrow furrow plowed by all his predecessors is not going to suddenly go, Aha! This young man has figured out our game. I better give in and acquit you. If you quote something James Madison or Thomas Jefferson once said, or if you tell him that the entire government is illegitimate since the 14th Amendment was illegally forced through. No, he won't care about your constitutional arguments, no matter how important or devastating you think they are. He won't care about your truths, even when they are 100% valid. He will simply convict you, and probably treat you all the more harshly for challenging the orthodoxy that defines his position and his life. And if it's an armed cop you're challenging, he probably doesn't even know what an amendment is. And it won't matter if you are carrying a firearm legally under your constitutional rights, or even if you have all the permits for it that the tyrants demand. If you are white and or part of any other disfavored group and your hand goes within six inches of your weapon, no matter how innocently, you have just signed your own death warrant. Far better to let the system win in all the small ways it demands, so you can keep on with your work for your race for the next half century or however long nature allows. That's what counts, not convincing Officer Robot that Statute 603B wasn't properly enacted. Keep your hands in sight. Be polite. 
Tell them you have a weapon if you do, and follow any instructions regarding it. Obey lawful commands from the 90 IQ robots, no matter how much it riles you, and even obey them if they're unlawful, and challenge them later if that makes sense. If you must do that to save yourself to fight the good fight another day, or even just to save yourself from endless time-wasting wrangling in their courts. You have one shot at life on planet Earth. Do you really want to spend a good portion of it in their courtrooms? Obey all their dumb gotcha laws while withdrawing your time, energy, and consent in every area you can. Spend your life, spend that time and energy avoiding all unnecessary interaction with law enforcement instead of pointlessly challenging its unreasoning minions on their turf. And instead, devote your hours to the maximum extent you can to bringing about a new society in which honorable white men like you will be in total charge again, and the continued existence of new white generations, and new and better white-centric laws and constitutions, will be assured forever. And where we will decide what principles the judges and prosecutors and police officers must follow. Race trumps law every time. Laws are ephemeral and always changeable. Race is potentially eternal. And nothing is more significant. Society's laws are way downstream from the basic question of whose society it is. And that means race. Now let's turn to the Fairfax County school system in Northern Virginia, near Washington, D.C., which just so happens to be where I spent most of my school days, from the last half of second grade in 1963 to 64, to my senior year in high school, 1973 to 1974. Those were the days of a nearly all-white America, and Northern Virginia reflected that. But that area is now a crowded, ugly, multiracial melange, kept from descending into hellhole status only by the massive money spigot in D.C. Last month, Taylor Brock, the white mother of a young white boy attending Walt Whitman Middle School, took to the Internet to publicize how her 12-year-old son had been strangled by an older black student. The incident was captured on video, and I'll embed a link to it and to Taylor Brock's article 
in the text version of this broadcast. She wrote in part, quote, Are children really safe at school? I never understood how much bullying and violence actually happens at school. My son has come to me before and told me other kids will bully him or say mean things to him, but I didn't truly understand how bad it was. After parents watched the video of my son being assaulted and strangled, they messaged me to tell me horror stories of their own children suffering at school and how the school has done nothing to stop it. Children are afraid to come forward. They suffer in silence and even commit suicide because they feel like there is no other way to escape the pain and suffering they endure at school. The children who are brave enough to come forward are not being taken seriously enough by the school. The victims continue to suffer because the consequences for breaking rules aren't severe enough to deter perpetrators from breaking them. The school's reaction to my son being assaulted and strangled is a perfect example of how careless the school is towards acts of violence. In case you don't know how lenient the schools are in punishment and the lack of safety measures, let me share with you the school's response to the evidence of my son being assaulted and strangled. On January 23, 2023, my son was assaulted and strangled on the school bus by another student. I learned about the altercation when my son came home crying with red marks on his neck. The girl who harmed my son this day was also the same one who stole a toy from him months prior, to which the school said they would take care of it. I was sent this video from another student which made me realize how severe and traumatic this event was for my son, and also learned that the video was actually the second time she attacked and strangled him. I immediately went to the school to show them the video of the assault and pictures of my son's neck. Upon seeing this, I was sure that the school would take proper action and keep not only my son safe, but the other children on the bus and school safe too, by expelling her. Surely a child seen committing a heinous crime would get expelled from school. The school said they couldn't tell me what action would be taken against the girl, but they would take care of it. I went to the courthouse and got a two-week protection order for my son, which noted that she was to remain a minimum of 50 feet away, which I gave to the school. I found out from my son that she had come back to school after being merely suspended for a criminal act such as strangulation. How is that fair? How are you going to protect my son when you put her in the same environment as him? What example are you setting for other children who know and saw what happened and also see her return to school? When I confronted the school and told them to look at the camera footage, 
they confirmed that she continued to disobey the protection order. The two friends my son had on the bus were afraid to come forward because they themselves were constantly being bullied at school and were afraid of retaliation. No other parents were notified that a strangulation attack had occurred on the bus or that the student who committed this violent act would continue sitting next to their children. How does that make you feel to know that the school doesn't take the violence and crime that occurs seriously enough to protect our kids, even when confronted with evidence? Something needs to change. This isn't just my child's life on the line, but every child that has been harmed and humiliated where the school did nothing. Schools need to be held accountable for inadequately protecting our children. They can't create a safe environment for our kids if they sweep these violent acts under the rug, hoping no one hears about them. Do you know how many parents have come to me telling me their children were bullied, harassed, sexually assaulted, abused, and harmed at the school? and how they repeatedly go to the school asking them to do something and the school does nothing? These parents ask me what they need to do to get the schools to take action, and I have to say, I don't know. The school has video of a crime and a protection order, and they still only believed that suspension was enough to keep my child safe. Not only do schools need to give harsher punishments to children who bully, threaten, and assault others, but they also need more preventative measures, like classes on coping skills, overcoming peer pressure, and thinking positively, classes that reinforce how precious and priceless each student is. School is hard enough without having to feel like your life is in danger, too. Could we not set a little bit of time aside on a weekly or even monthly basis to help our children overcome the stressors of life? Our children don't truly understand the impact they make and the power of their thoughts, but we can teach them. Setting time aside to teach these values can prevent reckless damage to people's lives. This event didn't only affect my son but our entire family. And it didn't just affect him then. It will continue to affect him throughout his life. Trauma doesn't just go away because we ask it to. I am heartbroken for all children who endure such traumas. I can't imagine how many instances go unrecorded. If the school is so permissive about this severity of a crime and the evidence of its occurrence, then I have little hope for the uncounted children who roam the halls begging for help. These children are our future. Their lives matter. Close quote. The comments under Mrs. Brock's article are filled with descriptions of endless violence and sexual abuse and other kinds of abuse of our children by the savages 
in the public school system, including second graders being routinely held down and anally penetrated and the school doing nothing about it. And that's not even counting the psychological abuse committed by the administrators and teachers themselves at Jewish behest, teaching white children that their ancestors were evil and telling them how noble and good it is to be a sexual pervert or to mutilate their bodies so they can never have children. Yeah, the great diversity experiment is rolling along just fine, isn't it? Taylor Brock's son has been traumatized and could easily have been killed. As long as he is trapped in the system's public schools, he may well be killed and will likely be harmed in innumerable ways. I sympathize with Mrs. Brock and her anguish, and I salute her publicity campaign to bring such truths to light. But what is her solution? And what does that solution tell us about the psychology of whites under the current tyranny? Her solution? Expelling one black student. Classes on coping skills to, I assume, help abused whites cope better as the abuse continues. Overcoming peer pressure and thinking positively. And helping children overcome stress. All of these are pathetic, weak, and worthless. They do nothing to address the real issue, the presence of non-whites in our society. They do nothing to advance the only possible solution, the creation of an all-white society under a government answerable only to us. We have been beaten down psychologically by decades of Jewish media indoctrination and school indoctrination, so beaten down that many of us cannot even accurately conceptualize what is happening to us and what the obvious solution is. We need a coalition of the sane and healthy, and that is what the National Alliance is building, to lead our people to higher ground. Asking the abuser and abuse enablers to help you is ridiculous, dysfunctional, irrational, and dooms us all. Asking those who gleefully hate and abuse us and want us dead 
to please stop or learn to be nice is insane. Stop asking the enemy for permission to live. Start living and realize that life is struggle. Always. The real struggle, the only struggle worthy of our efforts now, is to build an all-white society and gain our self-determination, no matter what it takes. And you'll know you've finally gained psychological health when you see that as the ultimate joyful task, the greatest and best purpose that life has to offer. Chase Allen died at age 25 and can never join the real struggle. But how many listening to my voice died inside years ago and somehow, quote-unquote, can't join the real struggle themselves. If that's the way you think, the enemy has not defeated you. You've defeated yourself. You can join the real struggle. It may involve sacrifice. It may involve giving up a home, giving up a girlfriend, alienating shallow people, giving up the next ten rungs in the rat race. It may involve re-evaluating all your values. It may involve gut-wrenching changes. But it can be done. Each of us must deeply think about our own psychology and how it limits or enhances our participation in the only cause that really matters. Until next time, this is Kevin Alfred Strom reminding you of the words of Richard Berkeley Cotton. Freedom is not free. Free men are not equal, and equal men are not free.